Anybody know how many federal holidays we have in 2017 this year? More than three, more than that, more than that. We got 11 federal holidays, 11 federal holidays in 2017 this year. What are some, what are some holidays that we celebrate? Family day? Family day. Family day. Yeah, yeah. Easter, Easter, Christmas, what? Canada Day, that's right. The American calls out Canada Day. I like that. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Now, why do we have holidays? What's the purpose of holidays besides just getting a break from work? Because that's not the main purpose for holidays, even though we might think it is sometimes. Why do we, why do we celebrate holidays? Acknowledgement, okay. Acknowledgement of, what's up? To remember a significant event. Yeah, there you go. Acknowledgement of a significant event, to remember a significant event, right? Yeah. Would everybody agree through a consensus around that, that that's... One of the main reasons we have holidays? Yeah. Yeah, they help us remember significant events that have shaped us as a people, uh, that have shaped our families. Uh, we celebrate birthdays because we remember a significant event that shaped our family, right? The day that you were born is a big deal in the life of your family, right? Some, some people might be shaking their heads in disagreement, but... That <laughs> We celebrate Canada Day because we're recognizing Canada's independence, right? We're uh, celebrating and remembering the people who sacrificed for it. In the same way, it's why, you know, in, in America, I'm from Texas, and so we have Independence Day is what we call it, just three days later on July 4th. So we're celebrating uh, the day that America gained its independence and the people that fought and died uh, to gain that independence. We have holidays to remember because we have a propensity to forget, as people. We easily forget. Uh, across the United States, you'll see signs in commemoration of 9-11 that, that say, have the phrase, never forget. You'll hear that phrase a lot still, never forget. And yet people all too quickly forget, don't they? It's so easy for people to forget, even with signs that are right there in our faces saying, don't forget. Have you ever had something uh, incredible happen to you, and maybe that, that was the birth of a child, your wedding day, the day that you were saved, uh, something like that, and in that moment you thought, I don't ever want to lose the joy of this moment. I never want to forget the joy of this moment. I want to hang on to this for the rest of my life. And my wedding day was a beautiful day, uh, the day that Jen and I got married. And one of the reasons that we celebrate anniversaries is to remember that day. It's to remember the covenants that we made with each other on that day. To remember how we chose to love each other even when we don't feel the emotions of that day. Because that's an emotional day, right? But not every day, and, and those of you who are not married yet, I can just tell you, not every day in your marriage is going to be like that. You're going to have days where you don't feel like, oh, I just love this woman so much. Sometimes you're like, oh, I just can't stand this woman today, right? <laughs> Not very many days. Mo mostly it's the other way around. Most of the time it's, she probably feels that way about me because I definitely am the cause of most of the problems in our relationship. Holidays are good for this reason. They help us remember significant events, but holidays tell us something about ourselves, and it's true of every one of us. They tell us that we all too easily forget. It's especially easy for us to forget what God has done in our lives, isn't it? Real easy to forget. How many times have you been tempted to go back to a sin that you know has caused you loads of pain, guilt, and shame in your life before, and yet you're like, oh, that looks so good. I think I'm going to go back to it. And we find ourselves longing to go right back Kind of like Proverbs 26, 11. Uh, it's a vivid illustration that Solomon gives like a dog that returns to its vomit. He says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a foolish man returns to his foolishness. 
My dad's phrase, uh, my dad used to say, you're a glutton for punishment. That's what he would tell me. You're a glutton for punishment. How many times have you been tempted maybe to doubt God, even though you've witnessed him come through again and again and again at your time of greatest need in your life? You've watched him keep his promises to you over and over, and yet when it comes down to it, you forget the ways in which God has come through for you over and over, and you forget that and you doubt him. Forgetting who God is and what God has done is dangerous for us. Because it's in our nature to quickly turn away from God and to worship and serve and trust in other things. Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 4, 8, and 9, he said, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So in other words, other things. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more? See, Paul was reminding the Galatians, you guys are all too easily forgetting what God has rescued you from. And God knows that about us, and that's why he gave, and he knew that about the people of Israel, which is why he is going to take great pains to give them instructions on the institution of the Passover. Now, last week we looked at the first nine plagues. God told Moses in advance that Pharaoh's heart would be hardened and that he would refuse to let God's people go so that God could perform mighty acts of deliverance. And why? What's the phrase? Why did God do that? Anybody remember? So that they may know that I am the Lord, right? So that they may know that I am the Lord. That is what God is up to in these plagues, okay? So nine plagues have passed and still Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And so God is about to once and for all bring Pharaoh to his knees and he's going to execute judgment on Egypt and on the gods of Egypt. So let's jump in. Now I'm just going to preface this up front. This is a long text, okay? So stay with me, hang with me. I'm going to read about 33 verses, okay, from Exodus chapter 12. Uh, if you want, there's Bibles on the tables in front of you if you don't have one. And if you don't own a Bible, take it. It's our gift to you. We've got plenty of them. I want you to be able to take that home with you. Uh, so Exodus is the second book in the Bible, right after Genesis. You can turn to chapter 12, and it'll also be on the screen behind me as well. We're going to read this portion. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what, to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts." And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at the evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leaven, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called the, all the elders of Israel and he said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight... The Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up! Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, but bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So, what is happening here? It's a long text. I felt it was important to read it all to you because there's a reason that God took great pains to, in detail, describe the Passover to the people of Israel. So first of all, what God is commanding them to do today, they're supposed to do every single year 
from here on out. They are actually supposed to rearrange their calendars around it. He says in verse 2, from now on, this will be the first month of the year for you. So God is indicating to the people of Israel, this is the most significant event that's ever happened in the life of your, you as a people. Nothing is more important. This is so important that you're going to organize your calendars around it. You're going to organize your lives around it. Because without this event, you have no identity. You're not a people. Life as they know it is about to change forever. Next, each family is supposed to choose one lamb. It's supposed to be a lamb one year old without blemish. It's, they choose the lamb on the 10th day of the month and they take it into their household. And then on the 14th day of the month, they are to slaughter it. Think about what that would be like in your family. Think about what that would be like for the kids, right? You have this little lamb, cute little lamb in the house and you know, you grow attached to the lamb. Mike told me a, a great story. Uh, he told me uh, that his parents, when his parents were growing, or his uh, mother was growing up uh, with her brother, which is his uncle, uh, they were in Holland and they were getting ready, uh, he thinks it was to celebrate Christmas, and so his, his, uh, uh, his grandfather went and bought a rabbit down the street uh, from somebody to, and they took the rabbit into their home, they bought it a couple of months, I guess, before, right, to fatten the rabbit up, right, so they were going to fatten the rabbit to have a Christmas meal, okay, and so naturally, you take a little cute bunny rabbit into your home, and you keep it for a couple of months, and you have a little girl, well, good luck not getting that little girl attached to that rabbit, so the rabbit came into the house, they named it Floppy, Floppy was the rabbit's name, they played with Floppy, Floppy bounced around the house, had a good time, and then Christmas Day approached. Christmas Day approached and Floppy, Floppy came to his or her demise. And Floppy was, uh, found itself cooked on the dinner table. And uh, when they were sitting around the table, obviously Mike's uh, mother, she, you know, she's a little girl, she was very upset about this, was not happy in the least bit about the fact that her pet rabbit, Floppy, was cooked on the dinner table. And then her brother, you know, this, this sounds like something I would have done to my sister, uh, just wanting to kind of rub salt in the wound, says, excuse me, can somebody please pass Floppy? <laughs> kind of rubbed it in. Mike shared that story with me this week and... <laughs> I just thought that was funny. I can't help but wonder if maybe some of the Israelite children didn't do the same thing in the years to come at Passover. On the 14th day of the month, they slaughtered this lamb. They were to, to, when they did this, they were to take some of the blood and they were to smear it on the doorposts and on the lintel with a branch of hyssop. And they were to do that in the home where they were going to eat the animal. They ate the meal as a family together. Uh, they were supposed to be roasted over a fire at twilight. And they were not to leave any leftover until the next day, but to burn anything that remained. Uh, and they were to eat the animal in haste. They were to uh, have their sandals on their feet strapped on, their, uh, their, their, their loins girded, which basically means like kind of like their, uh, their robes pulled up and ready to go, ready to run. Their, cane, their staff in their hand, they're ready to move. Because God says, I'm going to tonight. I'm going to deliver you tonight. So they're to eat the meal in haste. And the Lord will pass through Egypt, executing judgment on Egypt and on their gods, but passing over any house with blood on the doorposts. So what does all of this mean? What does God want Israel to remember? And how exactly does the institution of the Passover help God's people remember? 
And what does this all have to do with us today? We're not Jewish, right? We're Christian. So what does this have to do with us? So let's jump in. Passover was a vivid illustration, a vivid reminder designed to help Israel remember. One of the things that Passover helps the people of Israel remember is that sin brings God's wrath and always results in death. Sin brings God's wrath and it always results in death. The 10th plague was devastating to Egypt. Think about this for a second. Not only was it devastating to the Egyptians, but it was devastating to Egypt's gods. You know, Pharaoh, you might recall from last week, Pharaoh believed himself to be the son of Amon-Ri, which was the sun god. So Pharaoh believed himself to be a god, and the people of Egypt believed that Pharaoh was a god, and Pharaoh's firstborn son was the son of a god, and he was next in line, I guess, to become a god. Pharaoh can't even save himself, let alone save anybody else or his son. The people of Egypt, not only do Egypt's gods get the full brunt of God's wrath, but the people of Egypt feel the full brunt of God's wrath. This plague was comprehensive and it was indiscriminatory in its reach. It says, from the son of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the prisoner in the dungeon, there was not a single house in all of Egypt where someone was not dead. This means that all were guilty and deserving of God's judgment. The plague was severe. The firstborn son, that might not mean as much to us today as it did to the people back then, but the firstborn son represented everything for the family. The firstborn son received the largest portion of the inheritance. The firstborn represented the hope and the future of that family, the safety of the family and the dignity of the family. Everything. Think about what that would be like. Think about what it would be like to be there. Verse 30 says, There was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. What would that have been like? Probably one of the greatest disasters in the history of the world at that time. What kind of terror must have filled the hearts of these people? What did they think about this God whom they hadn't taken seriously before? I bet they took him seriously after this. The severity of the plague is, is meant to cause in us an intense reaction. It's meant to cause that. So if you're having sort of an intense reaction or a revulsion to the thought of being there, that's good because that's what this plague is meant to do inside of us. It's meant to show us just how serious God is about sin. The message is this, your sin costs you everything. What was Pharaoh's sin that caused this judgment? Well, first it was a refusal to acknowledge the Lord as God. You remember from last week, plague after plague after plague, warning after warning after warning, God gives Pharaoh. God continues to show Pharaoh that his gods are not gods. He continues to show Pharaoh that I alone am the Lord God, and yet Pharaoh continues to refuse to submit to the Lord. He continues to refuse to submit and he says, no, I am God and I decide the fate of the people of Israel. The firstborn of God, the firstborn firstborn children of God, the people of Israel, they belong to me, not to you. And that's what God is telling Pharaoh. That's what Pharaoh is telling God. Second, like I said, Pharaoh is claiming God's people as his people. He's taking what rightfully belongs to God for himself. 
And so the result is that God will take Israel, Egypt's firstborn. He turns Pharaoh's judgment on its head. You remember in Exodus chapter 2, Pharaoh's edict is to throw all male Hebrew baby boys into the Nile River and kill them. That was Pharaoh's unjust edict, and so God turns it on his head, and God takes the life of all the Egyptian firstborn boys. This, uh, this plague is indiscriminatory in another way. So notice verse 13, what it says. God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So that means that God is saying, it's, it's not because you're innocent, Israel. It's not because you're better than the Egyptians. The only difference between you and the people of Egypt is that there's blood on your doorposts. The only difference is the blood. What that means is that Israel deserved this judgment from God too. In celebrating Passover, they were acknowledging this. Look again at, at verses 5 to 7. In verse 5, God tells them that they must take an unblemished lamb, a year old, must be an unblemished lamb. This unblemished lamb was, uh, reminds the people of Israel that their good works are like a blemished lamb. They're unsatisfactory. They can't save them. They need a perfect sacrifice. The bloodiness of the Passover was a vivid reminder that the penalty for sin is death. The Passover was fulfilled in Jesus. And you remember in, uh, at the Last Supper in Luke 22, Jesus said that uh, this is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And Jesus changed the Passover from that point forward to the Lord's Supper. But you see, the difference is in the Lord's Supper, there is no lamb to eat. Because Jesus is the unblemished Passover lamb. He is the sacrifice. When he, when he first came onto the scene and his ministry started, and John the Baptist saw him in John 1, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The elements that we use today in the Lord's Supper are bread and wine or juice. And they represent the body and the blood of Jesus, which is given for us. Just on a side note here, if you've ever had somebody tell you that the Bible is a bunch of unrelated books that don't make sense and they don't go together, uh, you have permission to slap them. No, not really. I don't really want you to slap people. Probably wouldn't be a good look. But seriously, only somebody who has never actually seriously sat down and read the Bible could say something like that. I mean, the symmetry of Scripture is absolutely amazing. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, every single part of it points directly to Jesus Christ. It's all connected. It's amazing to see that what God is doing in Exodus is all setting us up for one great act of salvation that he's going to accomplish on the cross. It's all setting up. It's all heading right there. He's readying his people. So, one reason that we take the Lord's Supper today is to remind us of the penalty that our sin deserves. Death. The wrath of God was shown most vividly on the cross where Jesus died. Where Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath down to the dregs. Every last bit of it. Darkness covered the land. God's wrath towards sin was fully carried out against his innocent son. Against the innocent Passover lamb. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we remember the awful judgment that we are saved from. 
the judgment that we deserved. And we remember that we're spared from it because God himself took our place. He took our place. The Passover also was meant to remind the people of Egypt that God is gracious and merciful and he provides atonement for our sin. He's gracious and merciful and he provides atonement for our sin. At Passover, God paid the ransom, the cost of the firstborn to redeem his people out of slavery in Egypt. That word redeem, it means to buy back, means to purchase out of. God chose his people, Israel. He redeemed them out of slavery, bought them back. You know, he chose Israel not because, we talked about this last week, not because Israel was special, not because they were more worthy of God's love, not because they, you know, performed God's laws better than the people of Egypt did. God chose the people of Israel because he wanted to choose the people of Israel. God chose the people of Israel because he wanted to demonstrate his mercy in saving a people for himself. And ultimately, he did it so that he could bless all of the nations. And God purchased his people and the life of the lamb stood as a substitute for the life of the firstborn of Israel. The lamb's life was given for the life of the firstborn as a substitute because, again, Israel was just as guilty as Egypt. And so the blood on the doors, when they put the blood on the door frames of their house, that blood was a sign that judgment had already fallen on that house. It was a sign that judgment had already fallen on that house. And through this, the people were delivered from slavery to Egypt. Now, God told uh, the people of Israel, he said that uh, in verse 14, that this was to be a celebration that lasted a week. So they had the Passover meal, and then for a week they were to eat unleavened bread. It was a week-long celebration that they observed every single year. And the slaying of the lamb, like I just said, it reminded Israel of the high price that was paid for their freedom. The bitter herbs that they would take was to remind them of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. Because it's so easy for us to forget the bitterness of our life before Christ, isn't it? The staff and the sandals and the unleavened bread were meant to remind the people of Israel of the haste with which they left Egypt. Now the slavery that we've been freed from is much worse than just slavery to a foreign king like Pharaoh. Our slavery is slavery to sin and to Satan. You know, apart from Christ, death owns us. We belong to it. We've given ourselves over to sin and over to death. And we're, in, and we're slaves and capable of freeing ourselves. Romans 6.16 says... Don't you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. At the Lord's Supper, the life of a lamb ultimately couldn't atone for sins. The life of a lamb could not atone for our sins and free us from this slavery. We needed a perfect human sacrifice. So God sent his son. God sent Jesus. I love what 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 says. It says, You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God gave his firstborn in exchange for our lives. 
God gave his firstborn so that we could be adopted into his family and we could become his firstborn. God has paid your ransom with the life of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what it cost to purchase you out of slavery to sin and death and Satan. I want you to notice one, one of the things that's highlighted in this passage is the severity of God and also the mercy of God. We see God's severity and God's mercy both on display here. But notice how God's great judgment always leads to great liberation. God's great judgment on the people of Egypt leads to a great liberation of his people. And God's great judgment that was displayed on the cross when the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus, it leads to great liberation for people like you and me. God's great judgment leads to great liberation. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 puts it like this. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He disarmed the rulers and authorities just like he disarmed Pharaoh. The rulers and authorities, that means, that means Satan, it means the demonic realm, it means everything that is not from God. The spiritual darkness, he disarmed all of it on the cross, just like he disarmed Pharaoh. He canceled the record of death that stood against us as he canceled the judgment that Israel deserved by providing a sacrificial lamb. See, the Lord's Supper today, when we take it, it reminds us why we are saved. It reminds us why we're saved. It is only when I see the blood, that is all that matters. It is only when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Judgment has already fallen on this house. Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus? That's all that matters. If you are covered by his blood, that means that God's judgment has passed over you and onto his son, Jesus. God sees the blood of his son on your doorposts and your penalty has already been paid on the cross. You know, just like Passover is vivid, you know, God gave them, it's like an object lesson. They're participating in this. There's things that they have to do. They're not just sitting, sitting listening to somebody tell them a history lesson. They're actually doing something. In the same way, the Lord's Supper is vivid. There's a reason that God has given us things to do, something to participate in. It's not just sitting up here listening to me remind you of what Jesus has done. You are participating in it. See, when the people of Israel took the Passover, they weren't just taking it just to remember, but to participate in a real way because in a very real way, they were there. They are participating and God wants future generations to know that just because you weren't there in the flesh doesn't mean you're not a participant in what happened at the Exodus. And he wants us to know the same thing today. That just because we weren't on that cross, we are in a very real way participating in the death of Jesus Christ when we take the Lord's Supper. Think about the visual nature of the Passover. Everything has a meaning. Every part of it has a meaning. None of it's by accident. God did this 
because he knows that we have the propensity to forget. He knows that we will forget. The bitter herbs are meant to remind the people of Israel of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. And we're going to see in two weeks, it's not going to take them long to forget. And they're going to moan and complain and they're going to go, oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt. At least we had food to eat. They're going to grumble because God knows. They ate, you notice God told them to eat the Passover in haste. Even in future generations. Isn't that kind of weird though? Like, it makes sense that they would eat it in haste that night because that night they're going to get delivered. But what about next year? They're supposed to eat it in haste for a week? How does that make sense? Like, they're taking a week to celebrate this. That's not very hasty to me. Why is God having them do that? To remember. To remember. They're participating in what their forefathers did. Their salvation, here's, here's the key, their salvation is tied up in a very real way to what is happening at that first Passover. Without Passover, there is no Israel. So future generations, God wants them to know, without that day, you're not where you are today. Without that day, you don't exist as a people. And similarly, we are not just remembering what Jesus did for us when we take the Lord's Supper. We're participating. Because without the cross, there's no salvation. There is no church. There is no freedom from sin and from death. There's this phrase called union with Christ. Union with Christ is something that was purchased for us by Jesus. When we take the bread and the wine or, or juice... We're participating in the death of Jesus Christ. In other words, what Jesus did, we did. Whatever Jesus did, we did. When we eat the bread and we drink from the cup, we are there at the cross being judged for our sin. It's as if we were punished along with Jesus at that cross. When Jesus took it, we took it. Judgment has already passed over us. And that's what we're remembering when we take that bread and when we take that cup. When Jesus was judged for our sin, we were judged for our sin. And in, by faith in Jesus, we're covered by his blood. This is why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. That's what Paul meant when he said, I've been crucified with Christ. He's talking about union. He's saying, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, my sin was judged once and for all. It's as if I died for my sins too, except I'm not dead, I'm alive. And I have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. It's, it's the same concept as baptism, guys. We talk about the, the Lord's Supper and baptism, you might have heard it called sacraments, Okay. It's a sacrament. It's something that we're doing to remember. It's symbolic, but we're also participating. So like when we baptize somebody, we quote Romans chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. We say, buried with Christ in baptism. Raised to walk in a new life. That means when Christ died for my sin, when he was buried, it's as if I've been buried. When Jesus was raised to walk in new life, I, in a similar way, am being raised to walk. I'm a new creation. And just... And just as Jesus is alive today and he's seated at the right hand of God, I'm going to live forever too. If I'm in Christ and Jesus is alive, that means I will also be alive and be raised from the dead. That's why we do these things. They're not meaningless empty rituals. 
There's a, in a very real way, the Lord's Supper, you're participating and you're remembering and you're going back to that place on Calvary. You're going back to that place. And when you take that bread, you're remembering that body that was beaten for you. Those hands and those nails that were driven in the, into his hands and his feet for you. When Jesus took the punishment, you took the punishment. It's already been paid. The big idea of this whole message is that the Lord's Supper helps us to remember the horrors of our slavery and the high price of our redemption. We remember the horrors of our slavery, of what God purchased us out of, and we remember the high price, the precious blood of Christ, like Peter said, that purchased us out of it. There's one last thing that I want to point out uh, before we wrap up that I think that God wants us to remember that God wanted the people of Israel to remember by the Passover and by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. God, here it is. God wants our lives to change as a result of his deliverance. He wants our lives to change. That Feast of Unleavened Bread that he talks about in verses 14 to 20 of Exodus 12, it's that, that one week after the Passover where they're, they're to eat nothing but unleavened bread. They're not to work and they're to celebrate the Passover. Well, throughout Scripture, yeast represents sin. It's symbolic of sin. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was to remind Israel that they were a people set apart for God. They were to leave behind the old leaven of their old lives in Egypt. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing unrepentant sin in the church, and he refers to this. So here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6-8. He says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a, little, that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So what Paul is saying is he's saying, clean out the old leaven of sin. When you take the Lord's Supper, you're acknowledging that you are a, you're a new creation. You've got a new identity. You've been purchased. Don't go back to your old life in Egypt. Don't go back to the things that you used to participate in. That's not, and he's not saying, listen, he's not telling the people, okay guys, I want you to try really hard now that you've been forgiven of your sins, you got to try really hard to try to be a better person, to live a moral life. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you've already been clean. You've already been cleansed. That's not who you are anymore. Act like what you are. You are new leaven. You're a new creation. You have a new identity. You've been purchased out of slavery in Egypt. And you are a child of God. Act like it. You don't have to live in slavery in Egypt anymore. You don't have to go back to the bitterness of Egypt anymore. Why would you do that? Clean out the old leaven. And that's what the festival of unleavened bread was meant to remind the people of Israel of is that God wanted their lives to change as a result of their deliverance. He wanted them to be an example of what it looks like to have a relationship with God so that the rest of the world could look at the people of Israel and know who God is. And today it's similar with the church. Guys, we are the witnesses of Jesus Christ to the world around us. The way that they out there all those people, those hundreds of thousands of people all around us, the way that they are going to know Jesus Christ, the Savior, is by our testimony. 
by us speaking the gospel, which is why we've got gospel conversation training. By the way, shameless plug right here. If you haven't signed up or if you're not planning on going, you should plan on going now so that you can obey the Great Commission and make disciples like Jesus said. But it's by the way we speak it and by the way we live it. By the way that we don't go back to the, the old leaven. This all goes back to our union with Christ. Paul says in Romans 6, 6, he says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So we've been crucified with him. The power of sin in our lives is broken. We don't have to be... We're not in slavery in Egypt anymore, guys. We're not in slavery in Egypt. So when we take the Lord's Supper, we remember this. Our old sinful self was crucified on the cross in order that we may no longer be a slave to sin. 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. I have that tattooed on me, the Greek tattoo that I've got on my arm right there, to remind me that I was bought with a price. What was that price? It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I've been purchased out of slavery. If you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus, you've been bought with a price too. You are not your own. You're not a slave in Egypt anymore. Today we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. How appropriate is that as we talked about the Passover? We're going to take the Lord's Supper I'll say a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I'm going to ask Mike uh, to come up. And uh, Chris, I'm going to ask you to come up as well and, and to help uh, pass out the elements. But a couple of things. Number one, has, if, you're, if you're a Christian and you're living in unrepentant or unconfessed sin right now, if you've allowed the old leaven to come back into your life, man, make today the day that you confess that to God and you turn from it and get right with God this morning. Make today the day that you get right with God. So I would encourage you even right now in your seat just to pray. God, forgive me. His grace knows no bounds and he is willing to forgive. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So do that this morning. Be restored back to God so that you can participate in the Lord's Supper with us. You might be here this morning and maybe you've never actually trusted in Jesus before. Maybe you're not sure, like, I don't really know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm born again. I don't know if I've ever fully understood this and really trusted in Jesus. Well, then I would ask you, first of all, to just refrain from taking the Lord's Supper this morning and instead use this morning to make today the day that you place your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. Make today the day that you decide to place your trust in him so that you can have a new relationship with God. This invitation is for anybody. Anybody is invited in to the family of God because when Jesus died on the cross... His death on the cross paid the penalty for the sins of the entire world. So all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I would encourage you this morning to use this time. And you can ask somebody at your table if you need help with that. If you want somebody to pray with you, you can come up and talk to me. You can talk to somebody at your table. And we'd love to do that. Um, the way we're going to do this, we usually do it, is I'm just going to have Mike and Chris come up and they're going to uh, pass out the elements. And you can just come up and take, it, take uh, the bread and the juice and take it back to your seats and we're all going to take it together. Uh, so this is, by the way, we have open communion, open Lord's Supper. You don't have to be a member here. It's, if, you have, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are invited to come and take the Lord's Supper with us this morning.